Hi, I'm Victor Milligan, your host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means. We explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. For today's episode, we're going to share a keynote from a recent CX New York forum. Forrester's analyst TJ Kitt discusses how firms can create lasting customer habits. Enjoy the listen. So I think even though this is my first time getting to talk to almost everyone in this room, I can make one assumption safely that everyone in this room has a large number of habits that help you regulate your personal and professional lives. Just speaking for myself, I know that I am a creature of habits. And that's mainly because my habits kind of balance me out. For example, my need to work out balances out my need to eat cookies and drink root beer at lunch every day. That said, why are we talking about habits? Well, at this conference, we're gonna spend a lot of time telling you that customer experience drives loyalty. To that I would add that part of what makes that loyalty possible is that a good customer experience caters to a habit that your customers have and want to keep or a a habit that your customers want to form. So let me repeat that just to be clear. A good customer experience caters to a habit that your customers have and want to keep or a habit that your customers want to form. So what do I mean by that? Well, let's take another one of my myriad of habits. To balance out my love of terrible Arnold Schwarzenegger action movies, I am a compulsive book buyer and avid reader. You'd be hard pressed to find any surface in my home that isn't covered with some sort of reading material, books, magazines, comic books, things of that nature. And to support that habit that goes back to my childhood, I've developed this tick wherever I, whenever I come across a bookstore in a mall or any place, I have to walk in. And one of those bookstores I made a point of walking into every time I saw it was Borders. Borders did a great job of catering to a book lover like me. From its staff, to its inventory, to its layout, it was built to create the perfect bookstore experience. In fact, it did such a great job with that, that by 2011, it was a leader in customer experience across a number of benchmarks, of course. By the end of 2011, Borders is out of business. So what happened? Well, there's a lot of discussion in the business press about the business model and how that failed Borders. But I would submit something a little bit simpler. Borders catered to a bookstore habit long past the point when going to a bookstore was desirable for book lovers. And there is the danger. If you wedge yourself too closely to a specific customer habit, then you run the risk of catering to that habit long past its desirability to your most valuable customers. Now, I know many of you in this room are thinking, this doesn't really apply to me, this is a B2C example when I'm a B2B company, or the particulars of my business are nothing like Borders, so I can't envision this happening to me because we don't deal with that. Let me take the moment now to disabuse you of any of those notions. For everyone in this room, there is a company that is spending every single day thinking about how it can change your customers' behaviors and habits. AWS changed the thought process for a developer from, I need to go to IT to spin up a server, to I can go rent time in the cloud. Lemonade is telling young renters that in order to get insurance, all you have to do is fire up a chatbot app on your phone and start talking to it. Surf Air is telling frequent travelers like me that you don't have to worry about buying a ticket because you subscribe to the airline and can hop a flight whenever it's available. And ZapRx is changing the way that physicians prescribe specialty drugs to patients. 
So now the question you have to ask yourself is, am I going to get ahead of these shifts in customer behavior? Am I gonna recognize them and take advantage of them and disadvantage my competition? Or am I gonna suffer the fate of borders and fall behind and perhaps find myself out of business? Put more simply, how are you going to create those lasting customer habits? Well, I think in order to have that conversation, we first have to understand the nature of habit. So has anyone here read Charles Duhigg's The Power of Habit, show of hands? A few going up. So for those of you who haven't had the pleasure, what Duhigg teaches us is that habits actually have three components. Let's sit here. First, there's a cue. So this is the trigger, the thing that starts us down the road towards this activity. The second is the routine, which is the set of actions that we take that we generally describe as being the habit. And then the third part is the reward, which is the value that someone gets out of doing that habit. Now, what I take away from Duhigg is that we have for far too long focused strictly on the routine, going to the bookstore, when we should be focusing on the triggers and the value. Because what Duhigg also teaches us is that when people want to change their habits, when habits change, it's because there are changes in those triggers and changes in the reward. So how are we going to figure out when those changes happen in our customer base? When there are new ways for them to get value from us? When there are new things setting them off down this path towards trying to get some sort of value from us? Well. Um, as Harley mentioned, I've, I've been on the team for a little bit, but I've bounced around Forrester a fair bit. So I started off my, my coverage in software. So I have to think of the world in terms of software platforms and development platforms. So I'm gonna talk about a platform here. And this platform is gonna help us sense when there are changes in the customer base and then help us respond accordingly. Let's call this, for the sake of argument, a CX platform. This is gonna have three components. The first component is going to be a CX vision that's rooted in brand and business strategy. So you've heard a lot of talk here today about this notion of value. What I'm gonna drive home here with this point on the CX vision is that the CX vision is gonna be an articulation of the value that you deliver to your customers. This is not the same thing as what you make. This is what you do for your customers. And then you wanna shape your business around what it is that you do for your customers, why they come to you time over time to ensure that you can stay um, in line with what, they're, what they want to receive from your business. The second point I'm going to make here on this platform is this notion of having a deep customer understanding that fosters smart responses. So this is the idea of actually being able to take insights that you gain from your customer research. So I think we all do a lot of customer research. The problem has been we haven't been able to plow that back into business decisions in terms of how we want to change the experience to keep pace with changing customer needs. So this is having that discipline, having the mechanisms internally to take that information and drive it into those business decisions. And then the final component of the platform is a flexible customer experience ecosystem that can adapt to customer change. So what we're talking about here really is this notion of having, first and foremost, a corporate culture that can embrace changes and innovations around the experience. And then to support that, having an organizational structure as well as an employee and partner ecosystem that can go along with you as you make those shifts. Now, let's say for the sake of argument that you're able to do this, that you're able to build this CX platform and then 
keep pace with those changing customer habits, and in some cases even help shape new customer habits. What's the benefit to your business? How are we gonna support this notion of growth that we're talking about here in this conference? Well, I like to think about this as kind of happening in two stages. So as, as you've seen at this conference, we've talked a lot about the relationship between customer experience and growth. When we're talking about that ability to create those relationships, the first stage in which this is gonna be important is when you're growing your business through customer experience. When you're first attracting those key customer segments, what you should be doing in that moment is identifying those customers' goals the rewards that they're looking for, and creating experiences that cater to the reward that they're trying to get to ensure that you've binded them to you and have them move with you as you grow as a business. The second stage is gonna be around this period in which you are more mature, you understand, you've established some customer habits, you've determined what it is that your key customer segments want, and you can use that as a springboard to then help them create new habits or service new habits that they're developing that will be profitable for you. Additionally, as you think about how you expand your marketplace, um, or your market share, I should say, you can use those habits that you're helping those existing customers form to attract in new customers. So let's look at two examples at these two different stages to flesh out what this means in practice. Because we're in New York and they're the hometown airline, we'll talk about JetBlue. I think you've heard a lot about them today. Um, Harley refers to them as Lady Gaga companies. And then because they're on top of everyone's mind, we'll talk about Amazon. So first, when we're talking about JetBlue, um, and I'll just go ahead and mention it again, a leader in our customer experience index for three years in a row for airlines. What we're seeing in that company is a organization that is trying to form new habits around air travel for a specific part of the market. Go to their annual report. They talk about the fact that they are really good at servicing an underserved segment, which is those individuals who are not particularly price sensitive, but aren't necessarily your hardened business traveler. The purpose for this was articulated by their former VP of marketing, a guy named Jamie Perry, when he said, what we want those people to do is when they're given a list of airline options, they will look first for JetBlue. So when we think about kind of what JetBlue has done to create this in their customer base, it's going back to that platform I talked about earlier. They put in place some of those essential elements. So when we talk about the vision, pulling again from their annual report, what they talk about is a differentiated product and culture that inspires humanity. So think about the reward when we're talking about habits. They're establishing that the reward you as a customer should be seeking is a humane travel experience. And I said travel experience because this is abstracted away from any notion of just being on a plane. And this has allowed JetBlue to then move into different areas like JetBlue vacations, so kind of setting themselves up as a travel agency, as well as talking about partnerships that are forming with companies like Avis or Lyft. So really thinking more holistically about the role that they play in the travel experience. The second is when we talk about that kind of customer understanding component, they have made a lot of investments in NPS, a lot of customer feedback data they collect. So they, they collect about four to five million surveys a year from their customers. They analyze that data and then they drive it back into their business decisions. So anyone here ever flown on Mint, you know, their, their business class? All right, not a lot of New Yorkers here. Um, so Mint was a, a service offering that they created 
by listening to their customers who were on flights lasting longer than four hours. They discovered that they wanted this sort of service, and so they figured out a way of delivering it to them. Likewise, now they're looking at new routes, new locations they can fly to, places like Europe. And again, what they're saying is that we're listening to what our customers are telling us in our focus air locations like Boston and New York, and those are the places they tell us that they want to fly. The third element that we want to talk about when we talk about that CX ecosystem is engaging corporate culture that emphasizes humanity and innovation. Or really, kind of, kind of more succinctly, innovations that inspire humanity. So we start with their, their customer bill of rights, which you know, they kind of set up as being one of the first airlines to offer that to their customers. A mechanism in which they describe this is the, what the JetBlue experience is going to be, and then they give their customers a, a way of getting redressed if there are any issues. Then you move into things like the innovations that they've made in the in-flight experience. First airline to offer all other seats, first airline to offer um, in headrest entertainment for all domestic flights, first airline to offer that free Wi-Fi across the country, all kind of in line with their idea of trying to create this humane, comfortable travel experience. And then you push it out further in terms of the kind of the partnerships that they're forming, the things that they're doing around the innovation, investing in things like JetBlue technology innovations, which is helping them look out for how technology and air travel will be changing over the next five years. And that demonstrates their dedication to how they want to see their business shape and change to serve these customers. So what's the result of this? You know, has this actually paid off for them? Well, let's ask a JetBlue customer. So I like this quote here. Years of flying with them keeps me coming back for great service. From booking online to arriving at the airport, JetBlue has catered to me, and I haven't asked for anything. Reads like ad copy. All you're missing is the strings in the background. I love this quote because what you actually see is someone who is spitting back to JetBlue, to us as researchers, the JetBlue experience, or the idealized JetBlue experience. And they're also telling us that because the JetBlue experience is so good to them, it's created this repetitive behavior, this habitual behavior. And because JetBlue is able to create this muscle memory and its most loyal customers, it's benefited financially. So this is three years financial performance, their operating revenue. You can see consistent growth year over year. For the incredulous in the crowd, he'll say, well, yeah, airlines grow, but airlines grow by feeding their customers to death, you know, adding new fees. To that, I'll say, let's take a look at this slide. It'll advance. There we go. Um, so this is revenue passenger miles. This is how airlines count paid butts and seats, so people who are paying to be on that flight. You can see, again, there's growth along this axis, too, which would suggest that JetBlue isn't strictly growing by increasing fees. Like every airline, they have added fees. They are growing, essentially, by increasing utilization, increasing the intensity of utilization. When we look at our own CX index and, and JetBlue's performance, I want to focus in on this idea of customer advocacy. Because they're increasing that utilization, they're increasing that intensity, they also seem to be increasing the level of advocacy in that customer base, which creates that virtuous cycle that helps with growth. So we love the JetBlue experience. We look first for JetBlue when we're flying. We recommend to everyone who will listen to us that you should fly on JetBlue, and that helps JetBlue grow. And then we repeat. So we've laid out that growth stage, you know, how that will look. So let's let now turn our attention to a company that is more mature, more settled, and we'll go to Amazon here. So Amazon 
is a great company at establishing habits for their customers. You know, they're a more mature company in this, but think about how they have changed and shaped a lot of you know, how we think about shopping online and how we have turned certain words into nouns. Um, one of the things I'll point out here with Amazon is that a lot of what they have determined is important around that notion of um, creating habits is a commitment to high standards. That's what Jeff Bezos talks about in their annual report. And so what I'll say is that that commitment to high standards is reflected in that CX platform through operational excellence. So what do I mean, what do I mean by that? So let's start again first with that notion of a CX vision. Amazon CX vision is pretty simple. It's a focus on selection, on price, and on convenience. None of that says anything about being a website. It just says that we're gonna give you a good price, we're gonna offer a range of, of, of products for you to acquire, and we're gonna do it wherever you think that's appropriate. To support this, they've invested pretty heavily in customer data, I think we all know that, and robust analytics. But those analytics are helping them do a number of things to service all of us as Amazon customers better. So they make determinations on what goes in the marketplace based on their customer data. They make determinations on their logistical chain based on that data. For example, in 2016, 44% of, of Americans lived within 20 miles of, a, of an Amazon warehouse. So having an understanding of where their customers are and how they need to service them comes through that data understanding. And then they have a range of innovative devices that they can deliver their experience on from your website to mobile apps to voice interfaces now that then draws in a customer base that drags along with it a large partner ecosystem. Amazon has a lot of customers. A lot of people want to service those customers. That helps Amazon service those customers in a convenient way and around and around it goes. Again, we'll ask, what's the result of this? What's the benefit? And we'll ask another Amazon customer. I come back to Amazon because it's like the Google of searching. It's just what I do to shop online. That again is creating that repetitive behavior. And what I like about this one is what he's expressing is that that value is so powerful that it can actually help overcome performance snags. So when we pose this question in our online community, pretty much everyone who responded had some statement like this. Some even use the term addiction. But what they started with was some notion of a complaint. So two day shipping was poor, which was this guy's complaint. But at the end of the day, the value that Amazon is delivering to this individual is too strong to, for them to overlook, or for, too strong so they overlook those issues that they're seeing in the performance. And this is netted out to a pretty powerful competitive advantage for Amazon. So if we look at just US online adults and where they make online purchases, 59% made a purchase from Amazon in the last three months. Just for context, the next closest online vendor was eBay with 23%. So that's a strong competitive advantage that they've created, and it's obviously led to these you know, astronomical growth numbers that we're seeing in terms of their online store. So now the question becomes, where should you start? Not everyone in this room is JetBlue, not everyone in this room is Amazon, so, but there, I think there are things that we can take away as lessons and apply them to our businesses to ensure that we can take advantage of these shifts in customer behaviors. I'll boil it down to three things that you can start working on today. Number one, make value your focal point. Number two, determine where you have permission to be. And number three, um, <clears throat> focus, find your focus habits. 
So on this first point of making value your focal point, this is really kind of getting back to that first notion of understanding what it is that you do for your customers. Because if you have that concept clear in your mind, then what you're gonna be able to do is understand where pertinent shifts are to you that allow for you to create a competitive advantage and disadvantage your competitors. What this means is that you're, when you're focusing on that value is that you're not gonna over-rotate on those customer habits that are no longer desirable. The cable TV industry has been shedding customers. And so the response to this has been to try to improve the experience of receiving 200 plus channels. This is an example here from Comcast Xfinity. This is their X1 platform. Full disclosure, I'm an X1 customer. Fantastic piece of technology, fantastic interface. The challenge with it though is that it just doesn't seem to line up with how customer habits are changing. So I'll give you this example here. When I want to watch a whole season of a show, it's usually available on Amazon Prime, whereas my cable provider will usually only have the last two or three episodes on demand. So you're seeing kind of a misalignment, a misunderstanding of what the fundamental rewards are that those people are trying to get out of that TV watching experience. I'll contrast that with looking at a company like, Am like Netflix, excuse me. Netflix, as you all may recall, started its life simply as mailing DVDs to people but they recognized that their value wasn't simply in the mailing of a physical media, or a physical piece of media. What their value was, was in allowing for an individual to consume content wherever. And so having that as their focal point, having that as their key understanding of what the problem was that they were solving, allowed for them to do smart things, like avoid creating their own set-top box. They developed the Roku player first and then spun it off because they realized that was a bad mistake. They formed partnerships with device manufacturers that allowed for them to do something pretty fundamental, abstract away from time and place content, which then changed the behaviors of many consumers. I know if you're like me, you've watched plenty of Netflix videos in the airport on your phone. So that's allowed for them to kind of focus on that value and then create new value that disadvantages their competitors, the cable companies. Once you have determined what that value is, now you need to determine what, where you have permission to be. What I mean by this is your customers are used to you delivering experiences in a certain way. They come to you for certain things, and they're not necessarily going to be willing to go with you wherever you choose to take them. So you have to have a deep understanding of what the customer, who the customers are and what they desire from your business. So what this means is that you're not just going to aimlessly leap at any trendy thing that you see in the marketplace. Walmart tried to take advantage of something that they were seeing Amazon doing, which is Amazon Go. So pick up something off a shelf, walk out of a store with it. They called their version Scan and Go, tried it for a few months, and they discovered that their customers actually did not want that. It didn't match what customers were expecting from Walmart and from a Walmart experience. And so that was, while a good experiment, I suppose, a wasted effort because it didn't seem to be rooted in a deep understanding of who their customers were and what they were seeking from a Walmart experience. I'll contrast that with Kaiser Permanente. So Kaiser Permanente, as we've talked about on this stage, is a company that has been leading in the customer experience index for insurers, but they're more than just an insurer. They're also just kind of a healthcare services provider. And so by having that position, they've been able to do a number of things in terms of weaving their way in, into their customers' lives, creating digital assets to help them manage their healthcare. And because they have that legacy, that permission, they've been able to run experiments like the one that's behind me, where they, for a, a select group of customers, Medicaid recipients in Southern California, were able to partner with a company called Impulse to send out mobile messages to that group, telling them to refill their medication. 
This is a group that has a problem with medication adherence, so this was kind of an important thing for them to be able to step up and help them with. And in doing that, what they discovered was because they had set that groundwork, because they had worked with those patients before, 96% found this to be a pretty easy method of getting those notifications to refill their, their, their prescriptions, and they had a higher refill rate than those patients that weren't actually receiving those messages. So again, having that customer understanding and having that legacy, allowing you to move into new areas for your customers. Then finally, <clears throat> when we're talking about finding your focus habits, this is determining which habits are gonna be most advantageous for your business in terms of creating that differentiation, as well as you know, finding those new opportunities with the customers. So just a quick example here with Dollar Shave Club, the guys who founded that you know, looked at a habit that most men have. You have to go out and you have to shave, and it's a part of that habit, actually kind of a subcomponent, or we can call it a supporting habit, that was actually problematic. It was the going to the store and having to buy the razors that they wanted to address. And so they were able to do that by removing the notion of having to go to the store and creating a subscription-oriented model for that. The result was they created a pretty robust business that Unilever eventually acquired, and because they had set the foundation with this notion of a subscription business, Unilever was able to leverage that to, being, to begin selling a range of bathroom products around the Dollar Shave Club brand. So, my time is almost up, so I wanna leave you with this final quote here. Motivation is what gets you started, habit is what keeps you going. I like this one because while I've been talking a lot about how you can leverage habits, to become more important to your customers, to work your way deeper into your customers' lives and drive that, that competitive advantage, we also have to recognize that you're, you have to create a muscle memory, a habit within your own business to do this sort of work. You have to create the motivation to want to go out and study customers very closely, to understand their habits. And then you have to create the habit in the business, the process, if you will, to then keep going back to customers to figure out how those habits are changing and where your opportunities are. I think everyone in this room is, is probably positioned to do that, but you just have to create that motivation. And I think that's incumbent upon you to go back to your business and say, this is what we have to do going forward. And with that, I thank you. If you like what you heard today but missed us in New York, consider joining us for one of our upcoming CX forums in Singapore, San Francisco, or London. For more information and to reserve your seat, visit forcom slash 2018 events. That's forrcom slash 2018 events. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.